Today's video is brought to you by Bespoke Post. Hey, brother. Okay, guys, question for you. Is there a chance that if you wore the right kind of armor, you could survive the Avada Kedavra curse? Now, I, I know, I know that Moody tells us that this curse is completely unblockable, but is it really? Like, it seems to me that if you were to stand behind a suit of armor and the Avada Kedavra curse hit that suit of armor, sure, yes, it would destroy it, but you would also not be harmed. But here's the question. What if you were inside the suit of armor? Does that make a difference? Like, would the spell just hit the armor, destroy it, but you'd be safe on the inside? Now, I agree 100% that the armor would be destroyed after being hit by the curse, but it is still a layer between you and the curse. Because with that logic in mind, like, clothes are a layer between you and the curse. But clothes don't seem to have any protective abilities at all. Like, they don't even stop you from getting stunned, let alone being killed. So is that basically saying that, like, as far as the magic is concerned, that you and your clothes are basically the same thing? Fashion experts seem to think so. But does that make you in the armor one in the same? And, extra question, does it matter if you're wearing clothes inside of the armor. I mean, because you're probably not like, you know, naked under there, right? Right? Listen, you do you. Kinda sounds like a chafing nightmare to me though. Because it's weird though, isn't it? Like everyone who's ever been killed by the Avada Kedavra curse seems like they're not physically damaged at all. Just kind of like they drop dead. For example, here is how the Riddle family is described after being attacked by young Tom Riddle. A team of doctors had examined the bodies and had concluded that none of the Riddles had been poisoned, stabbed, shot, strangled, suffocated, or, as far as they could tell, harmed at all. In fact, the report continued in a tone of unmistakable bewilderment, the Riddles all appeared to be in perfect health, apart from the fact that they were all dead. And yet, when the curse hits non-people things, it makes them explode! Not exactly potato-potato, is it? More like potato-potato was left in the microwave for too long and OH MY GOSH IT'S GONNA BLOW! The point is, I think that it is inconsistent at best, and I think that Moody is wrong. I believe the Avada Kedavra curse can be blocked. Today, we discuss. Guys, before we dive on in, we need to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Bespoke Post. The lovely folks over there have done it again and come out with a fantastic new selection of boxes for this winter season. My last box is absolutely oozing those cozy Huga vibes. It's an indoor fireplace. Seriously, it's just like a super small concrete fire pit that you can actually burn inside because it's just burning isopropyl alcohol, so there's no smoke. Nothing but like 45 minutes of a happy little flame. You can even roast marshmallows on it. Plus, it comes with matches and possibly more importantly, like super thorough safety, like warnings and precautions and best practices and stuff. But in case you are unaware of what Bespoke Post does on the whole, they provide really cool curated boxes with a variety of just awesome gear. Whether it be style and grooming related to barware, cooking tools, outdoor gear, and more. Each box costs 45 bucks, but comes loaded with over $75 worth of swag. For next month, I'm actually already eyeballing the like super fluffy slippers from the Hibernate box. Kind of get my Madame Rosberta on, so to speak. 
kind of, except, you know, they're, they're not high heeled, but still close. To get started, take the quiz over at boxofawesome.com so they can better curate the boxes for you. And good news, it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel that anytime. And you can get 20% off your first order when you go to boxofawesome.com and use promo code SUPER. Again, that is going to be boxofawesome.com, promo code SUPER for 20% off your first order. Link is in the description down below. Definitely check it out. All right, so right out of the gate, let's take a look at the passage responsible for all of this confusion. As you may recall from the Goblet of Fire, Mad-Eye Barty Crouch Jr. Moody is explaining to Harry and the rest of his class about the unforgivable curses. Not nice, not pleasant, and there's no counter curse. There's no blocking it. Only one known person has ever survived it, and he's sitting right in front of me. To which I was always like, now what a kawinky dink is that? Like of all of the places, the only person he's explaining it in this room and the kids right in front of him, like, what are the odds? And now I don't know about you, but to me, it kind of seems like he's actually contradicting himself in the very sentiment that he's expressing in the same sentence. There's no block in it, except for this kid who is in the room. So like Matt, I got a little uh, piratey there for a second. Now, to be fair, how Harry survived the killing curse is kind of a gigantic mystery to literally everyone in the wizarding world and is kind of the premise of the entire book series. In fact, I actually think it's kind of weird sometimes because I have spent so much time knowing the full story and perfectly understanding how Harry has in fact survived that sometimes I forget what it was like reading through the books for the very first time and like grappling with that question in curiosity. Point is, it's not really all of that surprising at all that Moody slash Crouch, who is actually a Death Eater and barely even accepts the idea of death, doesn't understand how it worked. That said though, Harry absolutely did block the curse and therefore it is blockable if the right things are in play for sacrificial love. Now, to be fair, in that specific situation and circumstance, there is the requirement that someone does still need to die, so there is that. And those circumstances can be awful hard to, you know, drum up if you're in a bind, but this is why they say married couples make really good horror partner teams. Not going to lie, I would watch the crap out of CSI Nocturnally. Anyway, sacrificial love does work, but you could also make the argument that it is more of a counter curse than an actual block. Which Moody slash Crouch also says that you can't do, but obviously he's wrong. But, so, then again, can you block it? I think what Crouch is actually saying here is that there is no way magically to block the curse. Meaning once the spell is out there in the air, there is no other spell that you could produce that would prevent it from hitting you. Like using Protego, for example, just wouldn't work at all because it's not a powerful enough counter curse and Avada Kedavra would just cut straight through it. But again, there are some, even though they're rare, exceptions to that rule as well. Like for example, between Voldemort and Harry as a result of the twin cores. This is what we see in the graveyard of Little Hangleton where Harry actually does successfully repel, again, the Avada Kedavra curse with Expelliarmus. This is again going beyond your typical magic and is in instead a result of the aforementioned twin cores. In that case, if Harry had been using any other wand, Cedric's wand that would have been maybe left on the ground, then Avada Kedavra would have cut straight through and he would have died. Well, technically it actually wouldn't have because Voldemort literally like just moments before used Harry's blood to like bring himself back, which then anchors Harry to life in the same way. It's kind of similar to a Horcrux, but it's more of like a love crux, but you get what I'm saying. So the question becomes, let's assume you are not Harry Potter and you are not 
carrying a wand that has a matching twin core to the person who is attacking you. In that case, is there any way that you could potentially possibly survive the curse? Maybe, because there are in fact actually a couple of other examples of the Avada Kedavra curse being blocked, and it doesn't have to do with Harry being Harry Potter or someone else sacrificing themselves for him. The interesting thing is that all of those instances involve gold. The best example is when we have Voldemort and Dumbledore dueling with each other at the Ministry of Magic. Voldemort is firing killing curse after killing curse, and instead of trying to dodge each of these attacks, Dumbledore is instead summoning pieces of the Statue of the Magical Brethren in front of him to block them. That said, again, the results are kind of inconsistent. The first time goes like this. The headless golden statue of the wizard in the fountain had sprung alive, leaping from its plinth, and landed on the floor with a crash between Harry and Voldemort. The spell merely glanced off his chest as the statue flung out its arms, protecting Harry. Oh, did it now? Pew! Because the next thing he summons to block the attack is the centaur, instead of just glancing off. This time it was the one-armed centaur, galloping in front of Dumbledore that took the blast and shattered into a hundred pieces. One hundred pieces! Actually shockingly few, because I'm imagining like a rather large statue and a hundred seems like kind of minimal, you know? Like, I'm thinking like thousands, not a hundred. The multiplier's way off. The point is, in the first instance, it's a glancing blow, and in the second, it shatters into a hundred pieces. Oh, and have I mentioned the security guard's desk yet? I will. He sent another killing curse at Dumbledore, but missed, instead hitting the security guard's desk, which burst into flame. That one's maybe less of a block, and I think Voldemort really just missed, but I think we can all agree that desk had it coming. It really truly had been my least favorite desk in all of Harry Potter. We need, we need like merch, just a desk that's on fire. Everyone will get it. Finally though, in the same battle, there's one last instance to talk about. Fox. Fox swooped down in front of Dumbledore, opened his beak wide, and swallowed the jet of green light whole. He burst into flame and fell to the floor, small, wrinkled, and flightless. This is three separate instances in one battle where Dumbledore is able to successfully block the unblockable curse. The mixed result with the two statues is probably what intrigues me the most, because it seems like if you were to have a shield made of solid gold, then you'd have a 100% chance of blocking the spell and about a 50% chance of still having a shield. Now, to be fair, gold is extremely dense and heavy and it would make a very cumbersome shield, but you know, also magic, I'm sure there's a way to make it lighter and more useful. Can't be that hard. Fox, I think, is the other kind of interesting one here, because as a phoenix, he is an immortal being, and therefore these two things running into each other is kind of like an unstoppable force running into an immovable object. Curse can't be stopped, Fox can't be killed, what happens? Fox lives. Sure, he's a tiny little baby again, but still. Wouldn't that be a weird, like, negotiation to make? Like, I will not die if I can just restart as a baby. Also, might I remind you that while Fox, mostly crimson, also does have golden tail feathers, so that theme is still kind of in play. And yet, there is actually still another instance of gold blocking this curse. It happens in the Deathly Hallows during the Battle of the Seven Potters. Harry's wand shoots golden flames at Voldemort. The scene starts with the incantation. Havada. As the pain from Harry's scar forced his eyes shut, his wand acted of its own accord. He felt it drag his hand around like some great magnet, saw a spurt of golden fire through his half-closed eyelids, heard a crack and a scream of fury. This one often goes unnoticed just because of how much chaos is going on during this scene, but 
Harry's wand is reacting to Voldemort casting a spell. And now, to be clear, no matter what spell Voldemort was casting there, I believe Harry's wand would have responded the same way. But in this particular instance, the spell that he is casting is the Avada Kedavra curse, and once again, it is stifled, and as we all know, Lucius Malfoy's wand is completely destroyed in the process. In this case, though, I'm actually unsure as to whether or not we call this a block or a counter curse, but either way, once again, we have it being prevented from working, and once again, gold is involved. Also, once again, we have a phoenix at play, and also, also, actually, actually, it happens to once again be fox, because that is the tail feather inside of Harry's wand. So then the question that we present to you is, what is it about gold that constantly makes this curse stop in its tracks? Could it possibly be a function of luck? I mean, after all, Felix Felicis is gold, and that could possibly even explain why the wizard statue was not destroyed, but the centaur ultimately was. One rolled a nat 20 while the other, let's just say it was a two. For clarity, a nat 20 is considered lucky. In case the analogy didn't fit. Luck could play a role, but honestly, I think that this is a mystery yet to be solved. We also know gold to be the answer to other branches of magic as well. Also, I'm not entirely sure that we could put it past the ministry for the wizard statue to be made of solid gold while the others are slightly skimped upon and are just merely like gilded with gold and like the interior is plaster. Insufficient worksmanship strikes again and racism. That one's probably bigger. What I mean though with gold is that the ultimate goal of the study of alchemy is to create the Philosopher's Stone, which can produce the elixir of life, granting immortality and thus defeating death. And yet, what happens to be the other notable property of the Philosopher's Stone? Oh yeah, it turns metals to gold. Use it on yourself, immortal. Use it on metal, turns to gold. Fox the Phoenix is immortal and we see him defeat the curse and the stone turns things to gold and gold can also survive the curse. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Like immortality and gold and surviving this curse all seem to kind of go hand in hand and hand because it was three things. That's three hands. It's confusing because you know, but you get it. But then there's even Harry himself. Harry is constantly associated with the color gold. He is the seeker on the Quidditch team hunting the golden snitch. He can produce golden flames from his wand. When you make Polyjuice Potion out of him, it turns gold. And even, get this, do you know how to make the Philosopher's Stone here out in the real world? Well, first of all, you can't. But people tried, and the recipe for it is on what is known as the Ripley Scroll, which details how you combine a red, white, and black stone, add a little magic, and voila, you have the Philosopher's Stone. Red, black, and white. Rubius, Sirius, and Albus. Harry's three surrogate father figures who helped forge the boy who survives death. So, do you want my advice? You want to survive the killing curse? Get yourself a shield made of gold. At the very least, some golden underbritches, because there is something about gold that makes such a big difference when it comes to the unblockable curse. I actually personally love this explanation, especially if you look at the Philosopher's Stone and its specific powers. You have the Elixir of Life, which is Sure, great, amazing. But if Nicholas Flamel is any kind of indication, it seems to me that the eternal life portion of it has a lot more to do with your body just never shutting down than it does 
impervious to death. Now, sweet Jacob would never do this, of course, but instead of shaking Nicholas Flamel's hand there, if he were to have, like, you know, punched him in the face, I have a feeling it would not have gone well. So that's where I think that the Philosopher's Stone, though, has all of its bases covered, because with it, you can always have gold near to hand, meaning you always have the ability to block the unblockable curse. Guys, for my question of the day, what do you think? Does gold block the spell? And if you were to constantly carry something gold on your person in order to prevent the Avada Kedavra curse, what would it be? I'm sticking with the golden underbridges, personally. Also, what is your least favorite desk in the series? Thoughts in the towel section down below. Well, guys, as always, thanks so much for watching. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you'd like more of an explanation about how Harry is, in fact, the Philosopher's Stone in that kind of Ripley scroll, we actually got to see it in person once upon a time, you can check out this video right here. But otherwise, until next time, bye.